Hello, may I welcome you to episode 39 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest began his illustrious career in the industry over 40 years ago at the tender age of 18. We discuss his challenges, what he would change from his moving past, his high points, what changes he would make to the industry, the advice he would give himself starting out again, his predictions for the next five years, and what he does outside of the workplace. And as always, we end with a funny moving story. My guest this episode is John Payne. Enjoy. Good morning, John. Welcome to Moving Matters. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Colin. Can you tell everyone about yourself and the length of time within the industry? I can indeed, yes. Um, well, I'm John Payne. I've been in the industry for just over 40 years now. I'm starting as a very young man and, and moving on to a much older age, but uh, 40 years later, I'm still here. And how did you get started in the industry? Well, it was interesting, actually. I was 18. I'd just completed my A-levels and somebody I had been at school with had been out looking for a job and said to me, John, have you got anything sorted out yet work-wise? And I hadn't. And I hadn't started looking. I'd only finished my levels maybe a month earlier. And he said, yeah, there's a company over in Battersea in London that are recruiting. It's a, a shipping company. And he arranged for me to, to call the chap who ran HR there. I went along, uh, was interviewed and started there, as I say, just over 40 years ago. The company was actually, and still is today, Davis Turner. And those days, they weren't just doing removals. They were literally, as they still are, a forwarding company with a division within the company that did removals. I went in, spent a week in the post room, spent a week in the print room, was offered little roles here and there. But eventually, they settled me into the removals division, which was an international removals division, as a trainee import clerk. So, yeah, I literally started there at the age of 18 and haven't left the industry since. So over your 40 years then, John... Who else have you worked for and what sort of like jobs have you undertaken at these companies? Well, I've done a number of roles and worked for a number of companies. And I started out, say, quite young with quite a lot of ambition. Um, and there was a company way back when, when I was in my early 20s, that had started up maybe a year before they caught my eye. But they caught my eye in such a way that I ended up phoning the guy who owned the business and saying to him, I want to come and work for you and help you develop your business. He said, I haven't got any vacancies. I have no roles. I said, but I really think I can help you move and develop your business. So to cut a really long story short, later that night after work, I went to meet with him and we had a chat and he offered me a position in the company. I ended up staying there for about 13 years. I was ended up as a sales and marketing director and a shareholder in the business. Left eventually. But over the years, I've worked for a number of organizations, including Britannia, the group where I was sales and marketing director for a number of years. I was managing director at AGS. I was sales and marketing director for a number of years at Anglo-Pacific. And I most recently spent six and a half years with Eurogroup as their general manager. Now, I believe you're not no longer working in the industry for anybody. You're starting up your own company. So can you tell everyone about the services you offer to the industry? Yeah, after many years Colin, working for other people and traveling many hours a day, I, I decided that it was time that 
I need to take things a little bit easier and not work the 80 hour weeks that I've been working for all that period. So what I'm doing now is, is, um, developing my own business, offering consultancy services to the industry. And the reason being, I think I have the experience to be able to offer that. What I've done is I've teamed up with the Red Group, who obviously will be known better as Red Recruit. And they obviously have a, a quite a large client base. And what I'm looking to do is offer consultancy, working with them to the, the general market where I can give back and help companies in many ways. If, for example, you have problems in, in your business and you, you feel that somebody from outside could look at it and help you to correct those and, and move forward, then I think I have the experience to be able to look at things with fresh eyes from outside and offer that service. In addition, if you want to look at um, how you develop and move a business forward in areas and you're not quite sure how to do it, then then I can maybe help with that. Again, I have experience with sales, marketing and business development. If you want your processes looked at because you have flaws in process, I have experience in those areas. So over the years, I think I've gained so much personal experience that I can offer that back to people and help them in, in most areas of their business, whether it be fixing problems, developing project management. Um, so yeah, if, if people would like to, to learn more about that, have a look at the Red website. And, and that's really where my aim is in the future. It's so nice to hear that somebody is giving back to the industry after all these years. I just think that's absolutely wonderful. But may I ask, what size of businesses are you looking to help? To be honest, I can help a single man in a van. I also believe I can help the larger companies because my experience is from working with small companies personally to large companies. And I've probably made as many mistakes as anybody, if not more. And I think that, you know, if you make the mistakes, hopefully you learn from them. Oh, we all learn from mistakes. And I see that as part of giving back. I mean, yeah, of course, I need to earn a living out of it. But at the same time, if I can do that, but help a business or businesses do better, solve their problems, then that's really what I'd love to do. It's, it's what I enjoy doing. The companies I've worked in and the roles that I've had, I think one of the things that I've enjoyed the most, and this is really what's driven this consultancy, the thing I've enjoyed the most is actually developing business, sorting out problems, but more than anything, working with people and helping them to develop, helping them to see the way forward for them within the business. So that, I believe, is what consultancy is all about. And you also offer other services other than consultancy. May I ask what they are as well? Yes, I do. Um, one of the, the areas, obviously, that, that companies have a need for is surveys, for example. Um, so if you need a survey done, then I have survey experience quite a lot of it. And, and that's part of what I can do is freelance surveying, covering basically London and the home counties. And just to double check, John, you're not going to go out and start driving trucks or doing removals, are you? Well, the one thing I don't have is actually an HCV license. No, serious? And I don't actually want one, to be honest, Colin. I do do actually have an international CPC, though. But yeah, I I don't use that one too often, but I do have that one. But no, driving HCVs, not for me, I'm afraid. That does surprise me. I don't know why, but it does surprise me. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you why. My portly figure wouldn't allow me to get in and out of the truck too easily nowadays. (laughs) I don't believe that for one moment. So what challenges have you had to overcome in your 40 years within this industry? Mm, Challenges, that's an interesting one. I think probably over 40 years, I would say the biggest challenge is probably the movement that we've seen with regards to technology that sits behind the business. What we do, obviously, 
in doing the move is we send out a truck with men, with materials, and they do a job. And that's not changed. In, in 40 years, a truck goes out, men go out, you've got cartons, you've got materials, you pack things to protect it, and you move it from A to B, whether it's down the road five miles or around the world. That hasn't changed. But technology has changed a great deal over 40 years. And that, I think, has been the biggest challenge, not just keeping up with it, but trying to see what's coming next, if that makes sense. Because if you're going to truly develop your business, you've got to try and think what's going to influence it. And I think that technology is the biggest influencer. It's changed the way we advertise. It changed the way we market things. It changes the way we interface with our clients. It changes the actual expectations of the clients as well. You know, we're, we're far more demanding today. We want answers now. We don't want answers in two weeks' time. I, I remember a time when every bit of business you did was really over the telephone. And then by post, you know, you, you did a survey, you put a price together, you literally put it in the post to the clients. And Sorry, John, may, may I stop you there for one moment? What is this post thing you're talking about? Well, you know, the guy who turns up at your door in the morning and puts bills through your letterbox. They still do that today, actually. Well, he hasn't been to my house for the last two weeks. Oh, I still get bills coming through my door. <laughs> and he's the person, the postman, that used to actually deliver our quotes. So I, I remember days gone by where, and this is quite strange, you would have a dictation machine and yeah. you would take your quotes into the dictation machine. And one company I worked for, you would then give it to the, the, the typing pool, which is a team of people who would then go and write a letter on a not on a computer because we didn't have computers back then, um, they'd type a letter on a typewriter, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and then somebody would come round from the post room in that company, collect all the posts from the various departments, put them in the in the post, and the postman would eventually deliver your quote. If you liked it, you would fill out a form saying, I accept your quote, put it back in the post, and we'd receive it two or three days later. So that's the postman. So that was a lesson for all of our younger listeners. And our postman was called Pat, by the way. <laughs> so if you could change anything from your moving past, what would it be? Oh, that's an interesting one. If I would change anything, I think that changing from my moving past, the, the one thing that I've learned over the years is that it's actually all about, and this sounds corny, but it's all about the customer. And the one thing that I would change is the interface that we still have with the client today, which is far more, let's call it electronic through systems, through technology than it used to be. And I think that speaking with people one-to-one -one means that actually you can offer them what they want, how they want it, but do it in such a way that they buy into it and trust you. And I think that the, the one thing that I don't think we have today is necessarily the trust with the client that existed 20, 30 years ago when you had more direct dialogue with the client. And I think that's where one thing that I would change is that. I'll change it back to how it was because I think it's very sad that we've lost it. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, you speak to people these days and the movers are literally, they're moving a client and yet the client's done all of that correspondence with the company's office but you've never spoken to the person. So the emails come in with the inquiry. You sent them out or you've done a video survey, for example, or, or done a quote from a list of items. You've then emailed that quote. They've emailed you the acceptance form. You've gone and booked it in the diary and then the guys go out and do the move. Up until that point, you haven't actually seen the customer, for example. I think, Colin, the thing is it's become far less personal yes. than it was. Definitely. And I, for one, miss that. You know, I would, I would love it to be more personal again. It never will be, but that's where we have to adapt 
to the client's needs and offer the client what the client wants today. And that's one of those things, as I said, that's changed over the years. Not necessarily for the better. Things don't always change for the better. But I also understand that the client's needs today and expectations are very different to how they were many years ago. So this is where we talk about adapting and, and doing things differently. And that's the most important thing that I think I've learned over the years is if you don't adapt, if you don't go with what you need to do today and tomorrow, you will fall by the wayside. Yeah. And as you said in the previous answer, technology has changed and people's expectations now are that you're no longer a nine to five business anymore. They should feel that they should be able to get hold of you at 3 a.m. in the morning by sending you a, a chat request or a quick email and they expect a response. And you know what, Colin, often they get it, don't they? Let's they do. be honest. They do. Yeah. Even even this morning, I know it's just, you're, this is probably quite sad, but I woke up, was it 4, 4.15 this morning? First thing I did, had a quick look at my emails. Yeah. We all do it. That's what we do nowadays. And you shouldn't. We should switch our phone off at night and sleep because actually you need your sleep, don't you, they say? But we don't. We, you know, that's how reactive we are. And often I think, you know, we, we find ourselves sending those first emails out at four, five, six, seven in the morning, which you wouldn't have dreamt of doing years ago. It was a nine to, you know, existence was more nine to five then. So what is your high point of being in the industry? And I would expect somebody that's had 40 years experience to have several of these. <laughs> There's one, there's one clear high point, and I think that that is the opportunity it's given me personally to see the world because a lot of my career has been spent doing international removals. Um, so I, I've represented my companies at various overseas conventions. I've been to many IAM conventions. I've been to FIDI conventions. I've been to other conventions. I've also visited agents around the world. Um, so the ability to, to visit these places and to see things that I may otherwise not have seen, I think is one of those wonderful things that I've, I've had out from the industry, had back from the industry. You know, there was a period of time, I, I haven't mentioned this before, but there was a period of time when I was quite heavily involved with BAR. And I, I was actually overseas group chairman for a number of years. I chaired the MTC, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things I did was actually represent BAR at FIDI in South Africa. And that was held at a place called Sun City, for those that know it. It was just a great experience, you know, to be able to go to South Africa, do what I had to do business-wise, which was great, but also go on a little mini safari and stay at fine hotels. Yeah, for me, the opportunity to travel, meet people, see different cultures has been wonderful and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's given me so much. So do you have any other high points then, John? I think... From a career point of view, the high points I've had are the challenges that I've had sometimes in the companies I've gone into and being able to either overcome them or work a way forward to beat those challenges. I've had a lot over 40 years without going into minute detail. I've had a lot of challenges and I think being able to overcome them and work a plan so that there's a way forward, that gives me an awful lot of satisfaction. The other thing is developing other people, Colin. I love to develop other people. And when, you know, when you're, you've been lucky enough to have the roles I've had within the companies I've worked for, I've had that opportunity to, to talent spot and see people and see what they're capable of. And, you know, sometimes I've taken people and said, you don't know what you can achieve. Yeah. But let me help you. And to see those people, sometimes very young, very naive, in very junior positions, and some of them today, quite senior within the companies that they're in or just taking on the challenge that I've offered them saying I think you're capable and seeing them reach the level they're capable again for me I I, I think that's wonderful and I've thoroughly enjoyed that 
Very similar to what my previous guest Rachel said in the last episode. One of her high points is mentoring people. I think there's a lot to be said for it because, you know, it's, look, we're all different. Some people, it's all about them, isn't it? Some people can be quite selfish, let's be honest. Other people have a personality that lends itself to trying to look at others and say, what can I do to help you? And mentoring for me has been probably, when you say it's up there, it's probably up with one of the top two or three things that I could possibly ever do in my life is help other people and mentor people. I do it not just in business. I try and help people, friends, family. You know, it's very hard for me to say no to somebody if they want me to help them. And mentoring is all about that. And yeah, it's very rewarding. If you see the results of it, extremely rewarding. And how do you spot these people? Oh, how do you spot them? It comes down to, I think, Two things. One is a natural ability in a certain field. Because, for example, you, you have somebody who you can see has great potential to lead others. And it, it will come down to their ability to, first of all, organize themselves and do their own job, but how they interact with others. And sometimes with young people, they don't realize they have that natural ability to be a leader and to take others and become somebody who will take a team and run a team. and. I've spotted several people who I thought have that ability. And usually during their, you know, you, you do this review of people, an annual review, for example, or a six-monthly review. And normally I will try to bring it out at those reviews and say, what do you want? What do you want for you for the future? Try and understand what they want. If they have ambition, and I think they've got that natural ability in an area, it could be sales. They have a natural ability in sales, but they might be doing a different job. They might be somebody who's out doing packing. But actually, do you know what? this person could develop into a great business development manager. Yeah. So spotting an individual's talent, then discussing somehow in, in just during conversation what their aims, thoughts, and ambitions may or may not be. If they've got some ambition, want to develop, plant seeds. Plant the seeds with them and then try and get those seeds to germinate and try and help them to become the person that they want to be. And I suppose they need to show passion as well. If you've got someone showing so much passion for the industry and, and for the role that they currently have within the organisation. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, if without the passion, without the drive, I wouldn't want to waste my time on that person because they're never going to get to where they need to get to. Colin, just, just thinking about this, there's, there was one individual who will remain nameless, the company will remain nameless, who came to me one day and said, he was in sales, he was a surveyor, he was very capable, but he had a, a great future ahead of him if he wanted it. And he came to me and said, I want to do more. I want a bigger role within the company. And no matter how hard I looked and what I looked for for him, I didn't think there was anything that that company or I could give him to achieve what he needed to achieve. So I actually said to him, I've got nothing for you. I can't help you. I'm sorry. I think you're very capable, but I can't actually help you within this company. And he actually ended up resigning, going elsewhere, still doing the same job he did, but still with that drive and ambition that he had for his future. But he really thought that I had been cruel to him and not offered him something that he felt I could offer, but I really didn't think I could. I'll cut a long story short with this chap, but today he's a, a director of a company he heads up their sales. He heads up their marketing. He's very successful, has been for a number of years. About three years ago, we were at an overseas convention. He approached me and said, oh, you're an apology. I said, what for? He said, well, years ago, he said, you broke my heart. He said, and I, I didn't like you very much. He said, but that was the best thing you could have possibly done for me. Thank you. For me, that's wow. rewarding. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what one thing would you change within our moving industry? Well, the one area that has always bothered me is the fact that the industry is not seen by the end user, the client, the people we serve as professional as it actually is. They don't see it as, as, as a profession where I believe it is a profession with a great deal of expertise. The people who go out and pack and care for the, the goods, the fact that we run HGV vehicles and we have to have special licenses to run those vehicles, to drive these vehicles. And the one thing that the industry has is the ability to do that, but at the same time, we can do it from literally running a small vehicle with no experience and no specialization. The client doesn't actually ever know what they're going to get until they've had the service. And whilst there's a lot of good service out there, a tremendous amount of good service, there is some poor service. And the one thing that I would like to have seen over the years, and it, it will probably never happen, is some form of regulation. Now, I know we've got our associations, but some form of regulation where our industry would be recognized as a profession. If I'm a plumber, for example, I'm recognized for my profession and the fact that I have had training and that I have qualifications. And I think that that's the one area where our industry, because we're so diverse in, in our numbers and the service that we provide, is that we can't actually say there's any sort of regulation in the industry. And I would like to have seen that. It's probably never going to happen. You say it will probably never happen, but surely there must be a way to achieve that. Because your answer has actually come up several times over previous episodes. So you're not on your own in this way of thinking. Well, I know I'm not, but with my involvement over the years at BAR and the efforts that I've seen during the 40 years by many people to lobby, lobby politicians, lobby governments, and try to force some form of regulation, they've all met with a proverbial brick wall. They've not happened. And that's why I'm now, I'm dubious about going forwards with it because I still think that it's it's going to be something that will completely and constantly be rebuffed by those that can actually allow the change. So I whilst I, I'm never going to say don't push for it, I'm of the opinion now that I'm fortunate I just don't think it will happen. I'd love to see it. I would love to see it because with the profession being recognized for what it is, it would also help push prices up. And I know that pricing's a major issue. You know, when when everybody's quiet Winter months, we've seen it over and over and over again. People get nervous and the price comes way down. It's what happens. I, I would love to see a situation where we are recognized for what we do and we can keep our prices up even when it's quieter. And I think regulation would help that. Mind you, I also think that if people held their nerve and companies held their nerve, they would actually be able to keep their prices up. Maybe you wouldn't secure exactly the, the conversion ratio you have now. Maybe your conversion ratio may drop a bit. But you know what? I'd rather do one job and earn a thousand pounds out of it and to do two jobs and earn 800 pounds out of them and i think that that is you know something that we lose sight of as an industry yeah, absolutely that comes under my consultancy by the way because what i'd like to do is introduce that when i speak with companies and say let's look at how we can make more for what we do and i believe that you can do by selling quality and getting the client to buy into the fact that what you actually have is a quality product and I believe it's possible to do that for the client if you engage with them properly. And as Robert Bartup said in a previous episode, the client doesn't know how much it costs to move until you give them the price. Exactly. And people buy benefits, don't they? You know, ultimately, yeah. anything we buy is what we buy on benefits. If I go in with a price 
and you come in 10% below me, I can only win that job either by a dropping my price to your level or below, or by getting my client to understand the benefits of buying my service as opposed to yours. And I just think that the art of selling your service for the benefits that you offer, if you truly believe they're a benefit, I don't actually think it's very difficult to sell them to a client if you truly believe in them, because people ultimately buy people. Do you think it's hard to sell the benefits, though, when most of the correspondence these days is technology-driven and by email? Absolutely. Uh, it makes it far more difficult. So how, how you present your offering has to be as professionally as you can possibly present it. That you do literally, as you say, through electronic means nowadays. But I still believe and firmly believe that you can do all of that, but you can still pick the phone up to the client. Totally. You still talk to the client. If you're passing by their door and you think that you can swing a, a deal and persuade them to move with you by just popping in for five minutes, don't just knock on the door because people might not appreciate it. But what's to stop you contacting the client and saying, look, I'm actually passing by. I really would like to do the move for you. And I understand you might have reservations about the price. But can I come and just have a chat for five minutes? What's to stop that? If they say it's not going no problem at all. No, but, you've not but, lost anything then, have you? No, not at all, but you could gain. So yep. one of the things that, that I believe in is if you're going to give yourself as a business the best opportunity to win a move or a contract, give yourself that opportunity. So go above, go beyond. And it's, it's everything, it's a phrase I've used when I've done some training with people in the past, when I've trained surveyors and salespeople, is say, be ahead of your competition. Stay ahead of your competition. And you can only do that by doing everything in your power. And I think using every facility available to you. And that's that I believe in firmly. So what advice would you give to yourself just starting out in the industry? Advice I'd give to myself would be you should have worked harder and trained harder on your footballing skills. <laughs> but as you didn't, look, I don't think anybody sets out or very few people set out to have a career in removals. I know I certainly didn't. I still don't today, but nobody sets out to have a career. It's different if you are part of a family business. Often, you know, you inherit, you move into the family business, and you know your path. Yeah. But I don't, I don't believe many people set out to say, right, what do I want to do for a living? What do I want to do for the future? And say, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go work in removals. A lot of people still fall into it. What advice would I give myself? Mm. <laughs> have a goal have a vision and don't let anybody put you off trying to get to where you want to get to or achieve what you think you can achieve but more importantly be prepared to listen to others and learn because if you put all of those together you will succeed now in my younger years you probably go sometimes you think you know it all and you don't. And this is me speaking personally. Be prepared to listen to others and learn from other people. That's the best thing you can do. Do you think that would change at all if we were a profession? People wanting to be a removal man, for example. Yeah, I think possibly it would. I think if, if, you, know, if, if you are more of a profession, we are a profession, sorry. But if you are recognised as more of a profession, I think that the industry could possibly then go out to, let's say, potential candidates coming into the industry and market the industry better, market the job better. At the moment, 
you know, where, where do we start? Where do we go? And getting people into the industry is the biggest bugbear that we have right now because it's not like, again, not like it used to be. Times change, people change. Yeah. And there used to be something called the job for life. And I think younger listeners won't know what that is, but people would step out at the age of 15, 16, 17, 18 into their first job and have a vision, I want a job for life. So if I wanted to go and work in an insurance broker firm, for example, that's going to be my job for life. And quite often people would start at a job at that age, stay there for 40, 50 years and retire. And it's not like that now. People are, are far, I, I like to say it's not right, but the word is probably a bit more flighty. People change jobs a lot more often now. If you look at a CV and somebody who's been working for 10 years often has six, seven, eight, 10 jobs. Years ago, you, you would look at that CV and put it straight in the bin. But I think that that's changed now. And, and that's the nature of the beast. People move around a lot more. But enticing people into us as an industry is a problem. There's, there's no question. And when you can't bring people into the industry, what you don't get is consistency. You don't get experience. So the service actually can suffer. So the removal man that would go out on the trucks, pack and wrap and protect people's goods and handle them properly with not just training, but a lot of experience is far harder to come by today. And to actually entice people in at an early age and keep them in is becoming more of a problem. So if you had something that was more recognized, more of recognized as for what it is, which is a professional industry, what then happens in my belief is that that enables the industry to actually charge a proper price to do a proper job where you can keep quality people employed, providing a quality service. So I think that ultimately that's what you get from having obviously that retention, which you may be able to achieve by employing people who are more interested in a career by being able to offer them the right money. That's what it comes down to. It's a bit like my previous guest, Rachel, who basically said people don't want a job for life anymore. They want a career for life yes i think she's spot on and that means if they need to move companies to support that career and to get to where they want to get to they're more than prepared to do it then you see the movement of people all the time you know if you see the movement of people you're constantly recruiting sometimes it's not too bad you can you can be in an area where take international removals there are two areas of international removals there's Migrant moving, and then there's the, the corporate moving where you're moving businesses or people who are employed by businesses. However, what you find is that there are a lot of companies in the, let's call it the Northwest 10, the Park Royal area of London and the Heathrow area yeah. that offer these services. What you see is a, a lot of movement of personnel between companies in that area because people want to pursue their career. So if they're career minded and they can't achieve at company A, company B is just around the corner can potentially offer them what they need for their career at the right money. They'll move. And then two years later, they'll move again to further their career. You can do that in that area. But you've also got removal companies who are more remote in areas where they've got a big catchment area, but actually not a lot of competition where you've got seven, eight, nine, ten companies vying for the same staff. So if somebody leaves you and leaves the industry or moves on, for you to find somebody from within the industry to bring in to fill that role can be difficult. So what you then find is you're looking at bringing somebody in from outside with no experience. Quite often, they're very young people who, who need to get work experience, should we call it, who'll come in, spend a short time with you, get the work experience, and then go elsewhere. 
take that skill they've learned with you to another industry because there's nobody in your industry in the area that can fill fulfill their career aspirations so you've got two sides to it yeah ultimately if you've got an industry that is an industry that's recognized for its professionalism charging going back to the same story charging the right prices able to pay its people the right money and give them what they need for their career aspirations going forwards because of this professionalism it possibly answers that question and enables you to to take forward those people absolutely so where do you see yourself and i know you've just started your own business but Mm. yourself and the industry in the next five years things will develop things will change things will move on for me personally I'm setting out on something new. Hopefully, over the next five years, there's enough out there for me to fulfill my, let's call it career aspirations. (laughs) But hopefully, there's enough work out there on the consultancy front and people are prepared to invest in me to come in and help them so that it gives me what I need for my career, but enables me to give them what they need within their business. So that's a personal next five years. Yep. The next five years for the industry, well, if I look back over the last five or 10 years in particular and look at the change that's happened, it's been phenomenal. I mean, you know, who would have believed four years ago that this thing would crop up called COVID that would change the way we not just work, but change the way we lead our lives? And it has. It's changed it incredibly. What I've seen over the last few years, for example, is the advent of the video survey, the the virtual survey. And if you'd have asked me 20 years ago, (laughs) I would never have seen that coming. And I'd have probably said 20 years ago, no, 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 no. It won't work because people need to, you need to go in and do a survey. You need to do that. Well, you don't. It's changed. So over the next five years, there could well be innovations that are going to change the way we work that we actually don't even know about. What we need to do is we need to be aware of them as they're happening or as they're about to happen so that it influences our business. What I do see over the next five years is I do see that the pace of life will continue and people's expectations will continue to be, I want it and I want it now. So I do think that whatever we do as an industry, we need to be up for that and be prepared to offer it now. I do see also that there's a lot more influence now on smaller operators rather than the the, the large companies with their huge fleets of vehicles and their big pantechnican trucks. And I see that more flexibility is coming in every day to the way we operate. So I see smaller vehicles being the way forward over the next five years. Yes, there's a need for large vehicles. Of course there is. But if you look at the maxi size vehicle, for example, that has adaptability you can move small consignments but also you can send two or three vehicles on one job and actually use those two or three vehicles to do a bigger volume what you've then got is yes you've got people to drive them they're not hgv1 drivers they're they're drivers with a lesser qualification but doesn't mean they can't do a removal but what i do see is that you might send two vehicles with two drivers one day to do a job whereas at the moment or in the past you'd have sent a large vehicle with two personnel in it to do the same job yeah the next day you can do two smaller jobs on those two smaller vehicles which you can't do with a larger vehicle so i do see more and more the smaller vehicle coming into its own with smaller crew sizes 
but able to work together to fulfill the needs of larger moves. And I think that's something that many of the, the, the larger companies running the bigger fleets of big vehicles, I think they will need to adapt in that respect. The man and van type operator, however, comes into his own. And again, if I'm, let's say it's me and a, a pal and we run a vehicle and our vehicle can take 700 cubic feet. Sorry about using cubic feet, but I am old school in volumes. <laughs> but if you've got that ability to do that work, great. If you go out and you see a job that actually requires a bigger crew, then I see that whilst I'm a single operator of a vehicle and there are two of us, I need to be working with somebody else so that I can provide that service to my client when they have a bigger move. So the adaptability of smaller vehicles, smaller crews, smaller companies working together, I see as the way forward. That's more on the domestic side. On the international side, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to go on to international removals now as well. On the international side, I think we've seen a lot of change where on the corporate front, we're seeing a smaller moves, generally. We're seeing companies less likely to assign people with their families because, you know what, do I need to assign somebody overseas or can the job be done remotely? So we've got a potentially a, a shrinking volume of work on the corporate front, but we've seen it for a few years now. It's not what it was, but I just think that it's not going to go back to what it was. So what you've got to do is you've got to adapt. Now, when you're adapting, the number of companies that service that market, we've seen shrinkage there. I think we might continue to see shrinkage, but everything finds its level. So I think that we will see on the international corporate front, at some point, it will find its level. The mergers, the acquisitions that we see, I think they will continue. I think some companies will grow from that and become bigger players. That's great. Other companies that may struggle with that market may want to become part of a bigger conglomerate. So I see that. On the migrant front, which is, a, I believe, a different market, I see there has been massive decline in that, that market since 2008 when we hit the last big recession. That market's not what it was. Countries are not inviting necessarily people in like they were. But there will always be that market. There will always be companies providing services to that market. And I think that we're probably closer today to seeing the shrinkage in companies and the acquisitions and mergers than we were five years ago to the point that we're going to have and reach the level that companies that are providing that service can actually do quite well and can charge the right amount of money without having to compete at levels that we've seen over recent years where the markets become difficult to trade in and people start to compete on price. So I think that ultimately we can see a shift where we may have fewer operators, but those that are part of the future in five years' time Hopefully, we'll be able to charge more for their services, make a proper living, and help us with people seeing us as a professional business again. So <laughs> hopefully, we, we'll get to that stage. But I do see that change in, 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 the, in the coming years, in the next five years, most certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off then, John? I see you, you mentioned earlier you should have trained harder to be a, a footballer. Who would you have played for? Well, the only thing is, you know, you mentioned earlier on about talent spotting. Yeah. You need the talent first. And if I'm really honest, <laughs> it was never there. You know, the, the best footballers use both right and left feet. And my right leg was just purely for standing on when I was playing football. So <laughs> I never really had the talent, but that was always the dream was one day to play for England and captain England to a World Cup win. But I don't think that's going to happen now. I have hobbies. Until recently, I was playing quite a lot of golf. 
But I have, a, like everything, when you reach the tender ages that we all reach, the back's not quite what it was. So I've taken the decision that the golf is, is probably going to take a bit more of a back seat. The other passion I have is I love freshwater fishing. Nothing better for me than sitting around the lake on a Saturday morning watching the sunrise or a Sunday evening watching the sun go down, having sat there all day with a pal talking a load of nonsense and possibly catching no fish. But if we've had a good day catching some fish, <laughs> I love that. Sitting there with my packed lunch and my flask. Can't beat it. You know, I, I tend to do that around the, the southeast of England. And some of our lakes are beautiful. You sit there, you don't hear a car. Sometimes there's no other person apart from you or you and your pal. I love it. At home, I have a, a, a lovely wife. I've got to say that because she's sitting in the corner over there. <laughs> I have a couple of dogs. I like to walk my dogs around the park every day. I love my sports. So I watch a lot on TV. I'm a passionate Arsenal fan. And also follow some non-league football. So, yeah, quite busy actively outside of work. Oh, and I do, I do enjoy a nice meal as well. I do enjoy quality food. So, yeah, quite a few interests that keep me busy outside of work. And finally, I like to end my podcast with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell? I probably have quite a few I can't tell. <laughs> or I could tell, but you could possibly never put into anything that you broadcast. Oh, do tell, John, do tell. No. However, <laughs> there are, yeah, there is an interesting story. It's not necessarily a funny one, but one that always comes back to me, and I've told many, many times. We had a client that required some cartons because they wanted to do some of their own packing, and they lived in an apartment in London. And on the way home from work, as you do, I stuck them in the back of the car and thought, I'll go and deliver and walked up to the third floor, knocked on the door and a lady answered the door and I was handing the cartons over. And in the background, there was somebody I could hear singing. It clearly wasn't a radio, it was somebody singing. And I came away just thinking, wow, that, that lady's got a, what a voice, what a great voice. Thought no more of it. So I went in the office the next day and told a story about this, this lady who was in the background. I said, what a voice. Tell you, that, that was somebody, I've never heard anything like it, you know, and, and I certainly wish I could sing like it, but what a voice. Again, thought no more of it. Now, they had a very small shipment. It was actually just a few cartons. So what I did is I arranged to go and pick up these cartons a week later and knocked on the same door, but a different lady answered the door. And, and all I can tell you, I knew instantly it was the lady that had been singing in the background because it, she did have a good voice and... You may well know her, Colin. Some of your listeners may well know her. Her name was Cher. Oh, wow. And you know I said earlier about spotting talent? Yeah. I knew she had talent as soon as I heard her voice in the background. But, yeah, that, was, that lady was Cher. So that's, that's more of a, a, an interesting story than a funny story. That is remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. But I do have also what I think is a funny story. And that's John, go for it. client who... Wanted a survey, and I got a phone call internally saying, John, I've got a lady on the phone. She wants a survey done, which you might want to take on. I said, and I wasn't doing surveys at the time, personally. I said, well, what, tell me more. They said, well, she wants a survey. It has to be done in the evening, but probably best you speak to her. Can I put her through? So the lady came on the phone, and what it was, she said to me, look, I'm moving to Australia, but I'm leaving my husband. And he doesn't know I'm going. Oh, my word. So I need the survey done when he's not in the house. And he's, it's, it's quite irregular, his, the hours that he's not in the house. So what I need to do is let you know 
He's going to be out, say, today at 6 o'clock. Can you come round? I said, well, if he goes out in the evenings, then that would probably be best for me because I can, where you are, again, I can do this on the way home. So it would suit me. And eventually, about a week later, I got a call saying, he's out this evening. Can you come around at 6.30? Yeah, of course, again. Don't come around any earlier because he'll be here. The other thing, Mr. Payne, she said, is that I don't want any of the neighbours to know anything. So you're going to please just, whatever you do, be discreet. Don't turn up in a, a vehicle that's got any livery on it. And don't turn up with anything that makes it obvious. All right, I, I can do that. I'll be at 6.30. So the first thing is I'm quite nervous that actually he's not gone out of the house and he's still there and I knock on the door. But it was okay. I knocked on the door and she invited me in and we went around the house, did the survey. And there's a couple of things with this, but one of the things that struck me is when we went to do the survey, I walked into the master bedroom and I couldn't see a bed anywhere. And I I then glanced and believe it or not, from the ceiling, I could see a bed. (laughs) hanging <laughs> from the ceiling. This bed had literally four chains, one in each corner. It probably sat two and a half, three feet from the ceiling. I have to tell you, the ceiling was mirrored as well, so you can use your imagination. <laughs> and I was a fairly young man, and at the point, I stood there, and I, all I could say was, so how'd you get up there then? Because <laughs> I couldn't see a way of getting up to this bed. And she said, oh, there's a ladder in the wardrobe. Oh, my word. So that, that was a funny story, but it gets even not funnier, but stranger with this particular client, because bearing in mind, the client obviously doesn't want the husband to know she's leaving him. She's going to live in Australia. So once I'd done the survey, it was, okay, so how do I get the quote to you? I can't put it in the post, that thing we spoke about earlier. I can't send it to him. <laughs> necessarily by email because your husband might see it so how would you said no you need to bring the quote to me again when the husband's out so we we prepared a quote i took the quote to her gave me an opportunity to have a chat with her and talk to her about the benefits of moving with my company etc feeling very comfortable and confident i'll get the move well i followed up about a week later as as you do if you wanted to win a move you follow up don't you so i followed up and speaking with her said just making sure that you've had a chance to go over the, the quotation and everything that we're offering you and just really trying to get an idea of what you think. She said, well, the problem is my husband thinks you're ripping me off. What? And, and that sort of took me aback a bit. So I just said, to, your husband thinks I'm ripping you off. Yes, it's a terribly expensive price. I said, ah, I, said I thought you, um, sorry, but excuse me, I thought you were leaving your husband and Oh, no, no, no. She said, when I got your price through, she said, I thought it was terribly expensive, so I showed it to him. I said, but aren't you leaving your husband? Well, she said, in the end, she said, I thought, I really want to go to Australia. That was the main reason I wanted to leave him. So I told him I was going to leave him if he didn't come with me. So what we're doing is we're buying him a two-way ticket in case he wants to come back. <laughs> the strangest client I think probably I've ever dealt with, one of the strangest oh, situations, you're now going to ask me, did I secure that move or not, aren't you? I am indeed, yeah. I actually did secure it, and in the <laughs> end, sold it on the basis of buying benefits. And whilst, whilst, yes, the husband might have thought we were expensive, it was worth that little bit of extra money to get the job done right. But yeah, most, most bizarre. But that, that bed, I, I think most, one of the most embarrassing questions was, so how would you get up there then? <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I love this moving industry and I love these stories. I absolutely love them. That's one of the cleaner ones, I can tell you. I have others, but I won't tell them. (laughs)
John, many thanks for giving up your time this morning to record an episode of Moving Matters with me. I truly appreciate you giving up your time. Thank you, Colin. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you very, very much. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 39 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice and please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to John Payne for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, John. If you would like to know more about John and the services he provides, then you'll find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. We all like things that are free. Well, all of John's consultation services begin with a free one-hour discussion to talk about your requirements. So what have you to lose? Contact John at the end of this episode outro. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving.